0: Scripture reading this evening will be read from Luke 1, 26 and 27. That will be Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Good evening and welcome back again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. Appreciate so much your presence. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We are having a dinner following our service tonight, visitation dinner, and if you're visiting, we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. I was asked just a moment ago by Brooke Howard if I still had toilet paper in my trees, and just so you'll know, I still do. wasn't able to get it all down, but that's okay. As a matter of fact, when I rounded the corner this morning, I could see it blowing. And uh, it looks like a ship with tattered sails. It's amazing how high toilet paper can go. There's a really good roll up near the top of one of the trees, and I'm hoping that at some point in time it'll shake down and I can carry it inside. (laughs) I don't know how some of uh, the others fared that were fortunate like us, but Hopefully and prayerfully, you've still got some remnants of your visit as well. I mentioned this morning that they're spreading the love, and this is the giving season, so if you'd like to have them on your list, let them know tonight, and I'm sure they'll make sure they can get by your house. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 tonight. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. We're going to be talking about the baby that would change the world. I do not know of another birth that has changed the history of the world like the one that we will read about tonight in Luke chapter 1. As you well know, the birth is that of Jesus. Before our study tonight, I began thinking about some of the people that have made such a great impact on our world. People that have left their mark on this world. In 1928, Alexander Fleming has been credited with inventing penicillin. Many of us have been the recipients of his great work. I have a brother that, as a baby, probably would not have made it had it not been for that drug. Many of you have been blessed by that drug and by the efforts of Mr. Fleming. Thomas Edison, credited with the invention of the light bulb. I do not know of any of us that do not really enjoy the fruits of his labor. And then Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone, and we use it every day. These are individuals that made a profound impact upon society, upon the lives of countless numbers of people. Willis Carrier, developed the modern electrical air conditioner. Seems somewhat trivial, and yet for us it is not just a necessity, but it's a luxury as well, isn't it? Because there are a lot of folks that don't enjoy the blessings of air conditioning. And if you really want to know how important it is, wait till mid-August. If your air conditioning unit goes out, I know who you'll have on speed dial. We've been very blessed. We've had, I shouldn't say this, I'll probably jinx myself, but through the years we've never had any trouble with our units, and that's a blessing. But you think about all the blessings that we enjoy in our, in our, in our lifetime. I want us to look at Luke chapter 1 and begin by talking about the message about The Messiah. The Bible tells us that there was an angelic messenger. An angel by the name of Gabriel. This is not the first time we read about Gabriel. He was spoken of back in the book of Daniel. There are only two angels that I know of that are identified by name. Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel had the opportunity to visit with Mary, the mother of Jesus. If you look at our lesson text, you'll find that this angelic messenger was sent to a specific place. Note, if you would, verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the sixth month here refers to, by way of chronology or dating, It goes back to the conception of John the Immerser by Elizabeth, his mother. Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Angels are said to be ministering spirits. And they are used by God according to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. To minister to those who are heirs of salvation. We are the recipients of the blessings of redemption. The angel Gabriel announces unto Mary that there is something great that's going to occur, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Nazareth was located about 50 miles or so north of Jerusalem. Now, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of Judea, which was south of Jerusalem. Micah, the prophet, had foretold of the birthplace of the Messiah back in Micah chapter 5. Not only was Gabriel sent to a specific place, but he was sent to a specific person. Verse 27, the Bible says, to a virgin betrothed, a betrothal, was an engagement and it was a binding contract between two people. And if there was infidelity, it was a capital offense. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. They were formally engaged with one another. There were no sexual relations that occurred during this time of engagement. And so the angel Gabriel is sent... To a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the Bible says the virgin's name was Mary. Now you think about Mary. And the blessings that would rest upon her. Drop down if you would. And note with me. Well, note if you would. What is said in verse 28. And shall call his name Jesus. An amazing story. I think first about this angelic messenger and then the angelic message. There was an announcement made by the angel about a divine birth as I read just a moment ago. If you drop in and look at verse 34... Mary said to the angel Gabriel, How can this be? That is, regarding this birth, how can this be since I do not know a man? That is, she had had no sexual relations with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The divine birth that we're talking about is the virgin birth. Isaiah, who wrote about seven centuries before Jesus, foretold of the birth of Jesus. He said, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The virgin, of course, Mary, the one that we are introduced to here, the virgin birth, one of the cardinal doctrines of the New Testament. Now we talk about this divine birth, but let me just also mention this divine baby. Go back and listen again. In verse 31, his name would be called Jesus. In verse 35, he would be called the Son of God. Jesus was the God-man. You have to understand that Jesus has always existed. He is the second member of the Godhead. We talk about the pre-incarnate Christ, that is, before He assumed bodily form. In John chapter 1, John said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And in verse 3 he said all things were made by him and without him nothing was made that was made. So Jesus as the second member of the Godhead was the agent by which the world was brought into being. God being the architect, Jesus the agent by which that was accomplished. When it comes to the universe we talk about God being the agent. Again as I said God was the architect of the universe, Jesus being the agent. In the redemptive plan, God was the architect, Jesus being the agent by which that plan was executed or accomplished. So Jesus was and is the Son of God. The pre-incarnate Christ. But now in John 1, 14, John said, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. Glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When Isaiah foretold of the virgin birth in chapter 9, he spoke of the birth of the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah. And he said, He shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So we're talking about the divine Son of the living God. Jesus who existed in pre-incarnate form and then Jesus who existed in incarnate form. That is, He took upon Himself human flesh. Paul said He was made in the likeness of men in Philippians chapter 2. Now there's a second thing I want you to see. We talk about the message as it relates to the Messiah. But what about the mission of the Messiah? Why did Jesus come to earth? Well, let me just sum it up like this. Jesus came to earth to save the human family didn't he do you remember what jesus said in luke chapter 19 verse 10 the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost paul said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am chief jesus came to save the human family in john 3:16 the Lord said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, John said, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. In Luke chapter 2, following the birth of the Christ, it was said to the shepherds who were abiding in the field, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is called Christ the Lord. The word Christ means anointed one. When you talk about Christ, the Anointed One, what you're saying is, He is the Messiah, that long-awaited Son of God. And so, what about the mission of the Messiah? I said that He came to save the human family. When Jesus came, He came bringing the gift of pardon, didn't He? When we talk about the redemptive plan of God, the heart of the redemptive plan is what? Salvation. And undergirding salvation is freedom from sin, the forgiveness of sin. Think about when the Apostle Peter preached the first gospel gospel sermon that is recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. When Peter preached that sermon, there were a lot of folks on that day that were indicted because they were guilty of the death of Jesus, the Son of God. And Peter said, when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That is, so that you might enjoy forgiveness. John said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. The Lord Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for the human family. He shed His blood, He gave His body for us. The Hebrew writer said, by the which will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then, Paul said in Ephesians 1, 7, that it is in Christ that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. When we go to bed every night and we give God thanks for all the blessings of life, one of the greatest blessings we have, is pardon from sin, to know that God has pardoned us. Can you imagine what it would be like to spend time on death row and then to enjoy clemency? Spiritually, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that prior to obedience to the gospel, we are dead in trespasses and sins. And the only thing that makes us favorable in the eyes of God is the blood of Jesus. So we enjoy pardon. And then there is a second thing, and that is peace. Jesus came bringing peace. Listen now, if you would, to what, what is recorded for us in Luke chapter 2. Think about that angelic multitude that praised God following the birth of Jesus. In verse 14 of chapter 2, They cried out, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. In Jesus Christ, not only do we have pardon, but we have peace. Paul said in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Isaiah said, back in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, that Jesus would be the Prince of Peace, didn't He? The Prince of Peace came bringing peace. It's a marvelous thing to live in peace. It would be wonderful if the world in which we live was a world comprised of peace, but the bottom line is there is not peace in our world. It seems as if there is always People warring and fighting among one another. And there is hatred and variance and division and strife. Yet Jesus came to bring peace to the human family. I understand what it means to enjoy horizontal peace. That is peace with my fellow man. And that is important. But the peace that we're talking about is described by Paul as the peace that passes all understanding. And the peace that Paul talks about is not dictated by external circumstances. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said that those who are outside of Christ, outside a covenant relationship with God, he said they're without hope and without God in this world. In verse 13 he said, But now in Christ Jesus you that once were far off are made near, brought nigh by the blood of Christ, who is our peace and has made both one, having broken down the wall of partition that existed in ancient times. The Bible says He's made both one. Jesus forged both Jew and Gentile in one body, didn't He? You remember Ephesians 2.16? Jesus Christ brought both Jew and Gentile together in one body. And then in verse 17, the Bible says he came and preached peace to you that were far off and to those that are near. That would encompass both Jew and Gentile. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached the first gospel sermon, he said, And the promises to you, that is to the Jews, to your descendants, that is to their children, their ancestors, and to them that are far off. That would encompass the Gentiles, wouldn't it? So all today enjoy peace. We have pardon with God. We have peace with God. We enjoy peace that passes all understanding. And to know that that peace has been made available to us. And that, the G- and that Jesus is the source of that peace. Listen again to verse 31. The angel said to Mary, you will conceive in your womb, you'll bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is what? He's the Savior of the world, isn't he? Without Jesus, we'd be lost. And there are a lot of folks in our world today need to understand that the only source of salvation is the Son of God. The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Lord Jesus is the only one that can save. He is the only one that can bring pardon. He is the only one that can bring peace. And so for that, we ought to be grateful. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study, and that is the majesty of the Messiah. Now back up and look at verse 31 again. In verse 31, the angel said, speaking to Mary, You will conceive in your womb, you will bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now look at verse 32 as he speaks of the might of the Messiah. Listen to him. He will be great. Now no doubt connected to that has to do with his power, his dominion. But you just think about what the angel said. He will be great. Do you know of any other person in the history of mankind that has ever made a mark on the human family, on the world as we know it, like this baby that was to be born. Can you name one person? Now you think about all of the people that have been born down through the ages. And you think about some of the great contributions that have been made by men and women. Some of the great things that have been accomplished. And no doubt there have been people that have been deemed by their peers and by historians as great. As great as Thomas Edison was, he was no Jesus. As great as Alexander Fleming was, he was no Jesus. As great as the Wright brothers were, they were no Jesus. And here's the beauty of Jesus. You start talking about someone who is great. His greatness is attached to the legacy of the human family. Because you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and you read about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, there is the beginning of the unfolding of the redemptive plan of God and it involves one individual. You know who that is? The Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus, the seed, the promised seed. The promised seed is as old as the human family. Tell me one other person that has impacted the human family like Jesus. I don't know of another being. There have been people that have made their mark politically, socially, medically. There have been people that have no doubt made many, many contributions to the human family, but all pale in comparison to the Son of God. As great as Elvis Presley was in the eyes of the world, and the fact that he is revered by many, his death, his birth, often remembered by people, people have been remembering that death for what? Nearly 40 years? Forty years is nothing in comparison to the life of Jesus and the impact that he has made on the human family. So I think about his might, his greatness, and then his monarchy. You have to understand that Jesus is a king, isn't he? First, his throne. Listen if you would. Again, to what the angel of God said, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made a promise to David. He told him that when he rested with his fathers, he would establish or set up his seed after him that would proceed or come forth from his body and that He would establish a kingdom. And He said, I will build a house for My name. And He said, His throne, His kingdom, shall be forever, didn't He? Did God fulfill that promise? In Acts chapter 2, when the Apostle Peter preached on Pentecost Day, he talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, And the fact that Jesus had been raised to sit upon the throne of David in verse 30. You're not talking about a physical throne. And there are a lot of people in our world today that misunderstand the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. It is not an earthly kingdom. We're not looking for an earthly kingdom. The kingdom of God, as Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, comes not with observation. It is a spiritual institution. Jesus Himself said to Pontius Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom is here. The Lord Jesus is reigning upon His throne. He is upon the throne of David, but His throne is where? Not on earth. It's in heaven. And the Lord here, through the angel Gabriel is saying the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So we think about his throne and then his tenure. Now before we talk about his tenure, let me just say this. Jesus Christ is now sitting at the right hand of God. He has been exalted. As he sits at the right hand of God, He functions as the king over his kingdom. Now you can't be a king unless you have a kingdom, can you? You have to have a kingdom. When Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 15 that Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords, could he have said that had Jesus not already at that time had a kingdom? He couldn't have said that, could he? But Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, Daniel foretold of a coming kingdom. So I want you to listen to what verse 33 says, speaking of Jesus. And He will reign over the house of Jacob, that is the house of Israel, forever. And of His kingdom, listen to Him, there will be no end. The indestructible kingdom of God. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, Daniel said in the days of these kings, that is, in the days of the Roman kings, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It shall not be left to other kingdoms or other kings. But he said, this kingdom's going to stand forever, isn't it? When John the Baptist began his earthly ministry, Matthew said he began preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus began his public ministry, he said the same thing in Matthew chapter 4. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus said to some of those who were present on that occasion, Verily, verily, I say to you, there are some of you standing here that shall not taste death till you see the kingdom of God come with power. Did the kingdom come with power? Acts chapter 2 suggests that it did. It came with power. The apostles were endowed with the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They preached the gospel to those who were in Jerusalem. Some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. And the Bible says in verse 47, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The saved were then added to what? The church? The kingdom of God. In Colossians chapter 1, when Paul wrote to the saints in Colossae, he said, giving thanks to the Father who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. What kingdom was he talking about? The church. The kingdom over which Jesus today Rules or reigns? It's in that kingdom that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1.14. When John wrote the Revelation in Revelation chapter 1, he said that he was in the kingdom. So we talk about the Lord's throne and the Lord's tenure. The Bible says He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The house of Jacob The house of Israel is the church of God, according to Galatians chapter 6. It is the Israel of God. God's people today. The church. We are the the recipients of those blessings. Because having obeyed the gospel, God has put us in the church. You think about the impact of this baby. I don't know how many people have been saved through the efforts of Alexander Fleming as a result of his invention of penicillin, but I would suspect millions of people have profited. Millions upon millions of people have profited by his work. But spiritually, Jesus is the great physician. And this baby that the angel Gabriel talked about would have an everlasting impact on the human family. When Jesus shed His blood on Calvary, that blood went backward all the way to Adam and it will flow forward until the end of time. The effects of the work of Jesus on Calvary are amazing. This is a baby of whom Luke records unlike any other, the baby that literally changed the world. How grateful we ought to be for the beautiful baby of Bethlehem, as we sang a moment ago. It might be that you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. You understand that Jesus came to earth, that He lived and died for your sins, You've never taken that step to repent, to turn from a life of sin, to confess the name of Christ, to be baptized so that all your sins can be washed away. You've never done that, but you want to do it tonight. and We'd love to see that happen. We would love to see you baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away. So that number one, you can enjoy the pardon that comes only through Jesus. And number two, so you can leave here at peace with God and you can enjoy the peace that passes all understanding why not do what they did on Pentecost day repent be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins it might be that you're here tonight you're not faithful to his cause and maybe you would like us to pray with you and for you we'd be happy to do that John said if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness Won't you come as we stand and sing?